Fight fans, welcome to the PBC Podcast, brought to you by Premier Boxing Champions with your host, Kenneth Buhari and Michael Rosenthal. Welcome, everyone, to the PBC Podcast. I'm Kenneth Buhari, and he is USA Today's Boxing Junkie Editor, Michael Rosenthal. And we're here to talk about the sweet science, of course. We've got a great show for you guys today. Middleweight contender Chris Eubank Jr. will be joining us, plus more on our total segment. But first things first, Mike, how was your Mother's Day? It was good, actually. Uh I saw my mother for the first time in a long time uh, and in lockdown. Oh. And so is she more or less. But uh, I got to hang out with her a little bit and with the, you know, more family members. So it was actually kind of a special day. How about you? Yeah, it was good. Um, we started off with mimosas, uh, ordered some Korean barbecue, nice. uh, watched boxing, of course, uh, a really nice tipsy day. Um, now we're we're inching closer to boxing return, which is what we spent a lot of time talking about yesterday. I think everyone's getting antsy. I hear some platforms are talking about possibly coming back in June, others July. But Mike, how different do you expect the sport to be once it's given the green light? Well, initially, it's going to be very different. Um, the natural comparison, obviously, is to compare it to UFC 249, which happened on Saturday. Um, you know, Dana White found a, a state willing to host it, Florida. They took they took all the precautions you'd expect them to take. Um, you know, they did the best they could in that regard. And by all accounts, it was a, it was a success. The fights were good. Uh, the fact there were no spectators, I don't think, really had an adverse effect on on you know how enjoyable it was to watch it. Uh, the fights were still fun to watch. Uh, I think this is the model for boxing. I'm not sure that it, boxing would need to follow it, you know, line by line. But I think it sort of set the guidelines because again, it was it was a success. Why not? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I was wondering how the fighters would be affected by the lack of an audience, and also for my viewing pleasure too. How I would be affected, whether it would change anything. I I, I don't think in the case of UFC 249, it really changed much. And I suppose. In terms of the fighter, it depends based on, you know, some some guys draw energy from the crowd. Some don't really care. I mean, we've spoken to fighters who said they they don't care. I mean, basically, a, a fight is a fight. But one thing that I am concerned about is the judging. Uh, I know some have mentioned the possibility of remote judging, which obviously has its pluses and minuses. You get a completely different view from ringside than watching on TV, so it does matter. What, what are your thoughts on the idea of judges judging from afar? Okay, I'm going to be uh, uh, sophisticated in my response here, as opposed to how I really feel about this. Um, uh, it's a horrible idea. It, it's just a horrible idea. Um, you know, I've, I've judged fights ringside. You know, not as close as they are necessarily, but uh, I've I've judged fights at ringside and I've judged them on TV. It's a totally different perspective, completely different. So you don't you don't get the nuances from TV. You don't hear this quite the same sounds from TV. It's a completely different experience. Uh, in other words, I don't think you can judge a fight by watching TV. You just can't you can't do it uh, do it justice. You can't do it effectively. So and, and another thing I don't understand is we're only talking three more people. Um, you know, they they're keep they kept their production, UFC 249, UFC kept their production uh, staff down to a really small number, the smallest they could possibly do from what I understand. So it's just three more people. You know, you protect them. Uh, make, they're wearing masks, wearing gloves, and I just don't get it. 
Right, and they're six feet apart from each other and, and a good bit of distance away from the fighters for the most part. So I hear what you're saying. I think most of the potential issues uh, regarding uh, fights, you know, once once boxing resumes are logistical, uh, health-related, you know, and as we've seen, it, it can be done. And I think that there are things that promoters and platforms are going to learn from what happened last Saturday and, and implement going forward. Look, it, it's a new world. And, and quite honestly, Mike, I think it's just something that we're going to have to be accustomed to or get accustomed to. Right, right. It, it's it's going to look different at the beginning. There's no question about it. But I think like society in general, I think things are going to more or less get back to the way they used to be at some point. The question is when. I guess when they have the, the vaccine, things will be uh, will be more normal. But, uh, you know, what? I'm not an enormous fan of, of uh, UFC or mixed martial arts, but it was nice. it was nice to watch fights. I just thought it was I just it was a good feeling to watch fights. You know that they had resumed. It was uh, it was cool, and I just cannot wait until uh, we could say the same thing about boxing. Right, I could see the the excitement on social media and so forth. I'm not a big UFC or MMA guy either, but there, there's nothing else going on. So um, what am I gonna do now? I mean, I am following all the news that's that's going on with regard to boxing and and a tidbit that that popped up that you know drew a few eyebrows and and sparked some conversation was former unified world heavyweight champion Andy Ruiz Jr. has got a new trainer. Ruiz has enlisted the help of Eddie Reynoso. Now, Reynoso also trains uh, fellow heavyweight Frank Sanchez. He's got Canelo Alvarez, which everyone knows about. Luis Neri, uh, Ryan Garcia, Oscar Valdez. So he's got quite the stable. And now he's got Andy Ruiz Jr. Mike, is that good or bad? I think the fact that Ruiz chose to work with a top trainer who's going to demand a lot from him is a good sign uh it shows that he wants to be serious uh, about what he's doing uh and i think it'll really help him to be around be around guys like canelo alvarez and ryan garcia and the other guys you mentioned guys who have vision and guys who work hard in the end though it's all up to to ruiz it's almost like it doesn't matter to a great extent who the trainer is you know as long as he has a good trainer he has to be he's the one that has to be committed to his training he's the one that has to do the work the trainer can can provide guidelines and push him to some degree but it has to come from him from within him and let's face it that hasn't been one of ruiz's strengths so hopefully he he learned something from the second fight with joshua and he comes back and actually you know starts working hard yeah i i, I think you nailed it man i like reynoso a lot as a trainer so I think it's a great move on the surface. But then again, I like Manny Robles, too. Right, <laughs> I liked him right. a lot as well. Exactly. I mean, and and furthermore, Ruiz's issue was, wasn't technique. It wasn't ever technique. So, you know, as you say, no matter the trainer, ultimately it's up to him. Now, perhaps Ruiz felt he needed a change of scenery uh, to go along with his change in habits. And, and sometimes you need that. I get it. You know, but... Hey, look, maybe being around guys like Canelo, as you say, will motivate him to train harder and give 110%. I don't know. But I do know that no matter what and no matter who is in that corner in the ring, it's what he does away from the ring that will ultimately determine whether or not he can improve and become world champion again. And I think he's got a ways to go now, especially given what's going on in the welterweight division, which makes me wonder... Where do you take Ruiz from here? I mean, who do we want to see him fight next? There's so many good fighters out there. Luis Ortiz is someone I've heard mentioned. Dillian White, Chris Ariola. So many guys calling him out as well. Who would you like to see him face next? You know, as a fan or as uh, if I were advising him, I think those would be two different things. I, well, then let's hear both. If I were advising him, I like uh, Ariola. 
Um, he probably, although Chris is, is actually, it's an interesting comparison because Chris is sort of where uh, Ruiz was for a long time, and I think he finally got it, but he got it real late in his career. You know, he worked hard for his last fight. Uh, so, I think Ruiz probably, if he's prepared, probably wins that fight, and that's a nice, nice step back for him. Uh, I think like, a fight with uh, Kalnatsky would be like just a really fun fight to watch, but it might be a lot for Ruiz after what he went through with Joshua. Well, well, Hellenius, Hellenius might have something. Robert Hellenius might have something to say about that. So he might, he might have jumped in front of Kanavsky, right? I mean, yeah, but, who, but but do they want to fight Ruiz? I guess would be the question. Yeah, right. I, I like Hellenius with Ruiz too. Yeah, right, right. I mean, it's a lot of good fights for him, but I think as you, you you make a good point as an advisor, he probably needs that sort of fight first to sort of gauge where he's at and and whatever he's worked on in camp sort of see where he is before he steps to the big dogs as a fan of course i, w- I want to see him in with luis ortiz like right away yeah that'd um, be fun. there's a uh, lot of really fun heavyweight fights right exactly so uh whatever happens just good to see that you know andy ruiz is, is making some good steps in his career and hopefully he continues doing that now last friday showtime uh the network continued to show some great boxing from years past they've been doing this every single friday if you guys are not watching you need to and this this time it was back-to-back airings first keith thurman versus sean porter it was an epic 2016 battle for those who forgot which thurman won by very close decision then the march 2017 unification between thurman and then wbc welterweight champion danny garcia thurman also won that by decision i mean looking at the two fights i was thinking how good was this guy keith thurman Back then, obviously, he came back after a 22-month layoff. He had the fight against Jose Zito Lopez, which he won, and then he lost to Manny Pacquiao, which was a surprise to both you and me. But it seems like a lot of folks are writing him off now. Do you think that Keith Thurman can become the man at 147 again? That's a big question. Um, do I think he could beat uh, Spence or, or Crawford? Probably not. Um I think the problem with Thurman is that he just hasn't looked like the guy that in those two fights that you mentioned, uh, right. which were which were three, which was three years ago. Um, you know, he struggled against Jose Cito Lopez. He beat him, but it was hard. And now, listen, Jose Cito Lopez is a, is a difficult out for anybody. He's a tough guy. Uh, but then he lost to Pacquiao, and I know we're talking about Pacquiao, who's you know still special at 40, 41 now. I think uh, still. I think an elite guy like Thurman should beat a 40-year-old. So I was real surprised at that, and I don't think it reflects that well on Thurman. Now, to be fair, and we actually talked about this briefly off the podcast, I'm not sure that Thurman's been healthy for a long, long time, completely healthy. Uh, maybe Thurman at 100% you know, handles Lopez more easily than he did and, and beats Pacquiao. I, I don't know. Maybe the time off you know, through this thing and uh, who knows when he's going to fight again will allow him to heal completely and regain what he had and. 2000 the mid 2010s um maybe that guy still can you know maybe he's still out there somewhere you know they get the guy who uh, who beat uh, sean porter and danny garcia i don't know but the guy we saw in the last couple fights definitely couldn't couldn't beat the spences and the crawfords out there yeah i agree that he definitely needs to step up from the guy we saw most recently and i think he would admit that as well now um you know how I feel about Terrence Crawford, man. I, you it's know, a I long, just long conversation. <laughs> I just don't understand. What, what? Look, I, you know, I get it. He's a pound for pounder. I'm with. I'm with it. I'm not knocking Terrence Crawford. For those who think I'd knock him, no, he's he's extremely high on my pound for pound list. You know, I I think he's a great fighter. I just don't see it at 147, and I think it's almost disrespectful for him 
to be mentioned as if he just gets to jump in front of the line in front of all these other welters like Sean Porter and so forth. Like, oh, he's so elite at 147. I think the Keith Thurman that fought Sean Porter beats up Terrence Crawford. Yeah, I said it. I really do believe that. And I think that that, that the Keith Thurman that beat Sean Porter gives Errol Spence Jr., a prime Errol Spence Jr., uh, hell as well. You make a great point, though. Who is the Keith Thurman that we're looking at today? You know, Now, granted, I think a lot of folks are sleeping on him. Now, it may be that the injuries have robbed him of something. Maybe he's lost his hunger, which is what people have been saying for years. Hey, look, both are possible. But if that's not the case, if Keith Thurman can recover, rededicate himself to the sport, I'm telling you, he's a serious threat to become the man in the division. He's fast. He's strong. He's powerful. He's got a great ring IQ. He's athletic. He's tough. He's experienced. His resume at welterweight is still one of the best, and he's taken so much time off. I mean, I still want to see him against uh, Errol Spence Jr. I still believe that's a spectacular fight, and I still believe that he has the tools needed to become the man at welterweight. Yeah, I'm. I'm I like Keith. Um, you know, the times that I've talked to him, and, and I like him as a fighter, but I just I don't see it. Yeah, um, I like that. Yeah, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't see it. Okay. Um, I just, I just haven't seen us anything resembling a special fighter for such a long time. It's just hard for me to imagine that suddenly he's, he's going to emerge and take control of the division again. I think it's possible, and if it happens, it's like one of the better stories in recent years. Um, listen, he's still a very good fighter. He still fought Pacquiao more or less on even terms in the end. Uh, you know, he, I think he I scored it for Pacquiao, but it was a competitive very fight. close fight. Right, sure. right. So he's still obviously still a good fighter. Um, I, you know, I, I wish we could see him completely healthy. And you mentioned the hunger issue. I mean, that I don't know. That that we'd have to get from him, or he would have to talk about that. But at, as things stand now, I I just don't see it. I don't think he hangs with the with the top guys. So so if you had your your way, who would you want to see Thurman fight next? Well. Maybe maybe one of the two guys that you'd mentioned, you just mentioned, um, yeah, just for the sake of you and I arguing back and forth, um, <laughs> maybe maybe Crawford, but I, I don't see that fight happening. I um, love for that fight to happen. Yeah, I, I, th I think that if that would be a good gauge if he fought Porter or Garcia. That would be a real good gauge to see where he's at because we already know what he looked like three years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, Mikey Garcia, I think, I hadn't thought about that fight for three seconds before I just mentioned it, but you know that that's a legitimate fight. Maybe Mikey's too small for him. I don't know. Uh, but any of these guys, I think he's he, I think he's he's earned the right to fight anyone. Yeah. Uh, the question is, how does he perform? Right. Exactly. And I don't think. I mean, I don't think Thurman needs another tune-up. Look, he took a year off and fought Sean Porter. Took another year off, and then fought Danny Garcia after that. Now, I like Mikey Garcia as a potential opponent. I think I mentioned that last week. But, uh, you know, I want to see Keith rematch Sean Porter. It was a spectacular fight in 2016. Watching it on Friday, I was like, oh, my goodness. And I think it's a gut check for both those guys. They're coming off tough losses. They, they Both of them want another crack at the title. And I think both of them should fight each other for that crack. I know some folks want to see Thurman versus Adrian Broner. I've seen that a lot on social media in recent weeks, Mike, I don't know if you've seen this. That would be like, um, but, be like a tune-up fight. I, I, I mean, you know, look, I get it. Um, the build-up for that fight would be great. But it's, and, not a good, it's not a good matchup. Right. I mean, look, I wouldn't mind seeing it just because just because the build-up would be great. And by fight night, I'm like, man, you know, <laughs> what's going to happen? But 
That's yeah, that's not the fight I want to see. I would love to see uh, Keith and Sean getting it on again. I don't know how the welterweight division is going to shake out, but that's one fight, hopefully a rematch that I hope happens in the new, near future. All right, we've got to move on to the next portion of our show. We can talk about this forever. So we're going to start with our interview with middleweight contender Chris Eubank Jr. First things first, I understand that you are in Pensacola with Roy Jones Jr. right now. How is the uh, the climate over there with, with the current pandemic, and how, how's everything going? Um, to be honest, here in Pensacola, you know, it's, just, it's kind of like a slow town, a slow city. Um, you know, it's not actually uh, too bad. It hasn't been too bad. Um, you know, the there are places that have, you know, kind of stayed open um, throughout throughout the whole pandemic. You know, I've always uh, been able to order food from uh, a lot of different restaurants. Um, mm. You know, you go to Walmart or any of the, the superstores, and it's not it's not crazy busy. It's not hard to get you know food or toilet paper or anything like that. Um, there was no, there hasn't really been any real like lockdown. Like you can't leave your house type thing. Gotcha. Uh, they actually just opened up the beaches last weekend um, here, so it hasn't been too bad of an experience for me out here. And obviously, being able to train every day as well, um, you know, it, it, it's been. I've, I've had it a lot better than most uh, during mm-hmm. this time. Yeah, that's that's a good way to uh, to look at it. Now, how did you connect with Roy Jones Jr.? So I actually met Roy um, at the um, at a Sam's Town boxing show uh, a few months ago. Probably like I don't even know, maybe two weeks uh, or a week before uh, the coronavirus really started. Uh, changing, you know, people's the, the life, you know, normal day-to-day lives. Uh, we met. He was he was in the corner um, doing the corner for a friend of mine, Kevin Newman, and um, I got to speak to him. I, I went back to you know, you know, tell Kevin good luck and watch him get ready and stuff like that. And then uh, after the fight, um, was back back in the changing room again. Again, and uh, that's where I got to just sit down with him and. And just uh, and speak to him, you know. Obviously, um, being a middleweight and a and a superweight, my uh, super middleweight, he Roy has always been a fighter that I've you know looked at, admired, looked up to, um, you know, watched him throughout my entire career. So being able to just sit down and pick his brains for five ten minutes that night was you know it was a big deal for me. And and uh, you know he was a, he was a really cool guy. And, um, you know, I remember him mentioning that, you know, he had, a his own gym and, and, um, Kevin said that he, you know, he, he had a, a private farm and a private gym in Pensacola. And he, he, he went out there to train for a week or so during his fight camp. Um, so that was kind of, you know, all, all, uh, all knowledge or all, all all thoughts that you know in the back in the back of my mind, like oh okay, well you know I'd I'd, I'd like to go out there and, and see how how it is at some point, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, you know, I just asked him a couple a bunch of questions, and you know, we took a picture, and, and that was it. Um, and I kind of left that 
that fight show just thinking, oh, you know, it would be cool to, I guess it, it would be cool to, to train with her at some point. I don't know when, you know, but, you know, I'd, I'd like to do that. Um, and then a week later, um, it's funny, I was actually in a, I was in a casino um, playing poker, getting ready for, getting ready to go out to a club. And this was kind of like, you know, the, the, the COVID-19 situation hadn't like really hit. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was just about to. And I didn't, I didn't really, I hadn't, I wasn't taking it like everyone else. I wasn't taking it that seriously at, that, at this time. Um, and, you know, I was comfortable. I, you know, at Vegas, I got my own apartment out there. I got all these friends, you know, having fun, going to clubs, training at Floyd's every day. Um, you know, I was comfortable. I was, I was, I was having, I was having a great time. And I, and I, you know, I had, I had thought about, you know, about Roy and, you know, training with him. But to be honest, at that, at that particular time, it was kind of like, you know, well, I'm, I'm sure it happened at some point, but, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, I don't know when. And then um, I was getting ready to go to a club on Saturday night and, um, I got a phone call. Yeah, the uh, the club's closed. They're shutting it down. Wow! And I went and I went on a website and and I looked at all the the parties that I had planned to go to and they were all cancelled. <laughs> uh, and I was like, wow. Okay, so this is this is really um, this is really happening. And I was like, uh, um, Nate Vasquez and. I messaged him and I was like, yo, is, is, uh, are we training on Monday? And he was like, no, nah, Floyd's in closed. I was like, wow, i got to get out of here. Like, you know, what am I going to do? I, I, I can't train and I can't, you know, it looks like everything's going to shut down, everything's closing and, you know, there's, there's, there's really zero reason now for me to be in Vegas. So what, what, what am I going to do? And then it popped in my mind, like, Roy, I met Roy, and he, you know, he has a private, a private gym. You know, this is that would be perfect. This is this is pretty much the perfect time for me to just to go and, and test this out. Right. So uh, I called my dad and I said, you know, everything's closing down in Vegas, and I don't, I don't, I don't think, you know, there's nothing to really for me. There's no reason to be here anymore. Um, can you get a hold of Roy and, and ask if I can come and train with him? Um, and within about within a few hours, he was back and was like, "Yeah, I spoke to him, and it's cool." And I was I was on a plane the next day. Um, yeah, that's Poland. great. Wow. And I've been here for uh, over two months now. Wow! And, wow! Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been. Uh, I'm 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 actually upset that I hadn't uh, I haven't met I haven't met this man early on in my career because the training the way we've got on the things we, we're doing um, it's been it's been amazing and um, definitely one of the best you know decisions I've made throughout my career coming here training with him and, and I think that we're going to be doing a lot together over the uh, over the next few years. 
That's great. Can you tell us specifically uh, some of the things that you picked up from Roy in a few months? Um, you know, Roy, Roy teaches you to focus on the little things. So where most guys and everything, you know, getting strong and fit and and hitting the bags and the pad work and you know all that stuff is, is is important. It is important, but there are so many small details to your training, the foot movement. Uh, the combination punching, you know, tweaking your punches, throwing your punches right, getting into position, head movement, all these little things that, you know, as, as a fighter, as fighters, we forget to work on. You know, we forget to go back to the basics. Um, you know, and, and Roy is very uh, serious and dedicated to forcing you to, um, to perfect the small things. So that the big things work so much better. Um, so it's, it's, it's been eye-opening. You know, there's been so many um, eureka moments. You know, where I thought like, and, and it's uh, of such such simple things. You know, like just like wow. And then every week I'm like, wow. What, how did I think of that? Or why haven't I been doing wow. that more? Focusing on that more. Um, and uh, and yeah. It's, you know, I had no idea Roy would be anything like he is as a trainer. You know, you think somebody that famous, that that much of a legend would he wouldn't really give you much time. Um, but he, you know, he's the complete opposite. You know, he's he's one of the most hands-on. Uh, he's one of the most hands-on trainers that I've ever seen and been around. And I've been around gyms all over the world, everywhere. Um, that was, you know, really surprising and, and a great thing to experience. That Roy, you know, he really focused and he feel, he really feel like he wants you to, um, he wants to, he wants to improve you as a fighter. He's not, you're not just another guy. Um, you know, he took me in, you know, he welcomed me into his gym from the day one. I felt like I was a part of the team, and and now I am. Do you, do you see a, a difference in yourself already, or does it is that going to take time? I mean, everything takes time. I'm 30 years old, so I'm 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 never going to change overnight. But you know, the, the repetition and the constant reminders that Roy gives they enable you to uh, you know to to develop develop to develop everything about about your fight style, and and I'm definitely definitely noticing little things, you know little tweaks, little, you know, steps, foot movement, head movement, little things that I'm just, you know, improving on, that they're just, you know, he's, he's, he's tweaking and just adding a little bit of that Roy Jones Jr. spice to, and it, it, it definitely, uh, you know, I'm watching the videos back, you know, I guess I'm bringing people to film the train and spar, and, and that, you know, you can see the subtle differences, and it's just, you know, it's, it's a process. It's definitely not going to happen overnight, but I think, you know, being around Roy, you know, that, that legendary um, source that he has is definitely uh, mixing in well with the already, you know, with, with what I already have. And it's, 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 it's great to see. Now, Roy had such a unique style in the ring. Is he teaching you that style, the style that he fought, or does he tailor his training to sort of suit your style? Um. You know, there's only one boy Dodd Jr. He can't, he can't teach every fire how he fought because there's only one of them. But he, 
he knows the things that work for him. And, and the good thing about Warrior is he can see your strengths and your weaknesses and he can see how to uh, to add to them. So, you know, in my next fight, you're not gonna you're not gonna see me boxing or looking like a like an exact replica of Roy Jones. Right. Like that. But of course. The little things that he teaches you and that he used to in that he used to do in the ring. Um, the small, minute things that you may not even notice or see, um, those are the things that you know can just, just add and, and take you to that next level. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm excited to uh, to get into the ring and have and have Roy in my corner and and so uh, and to see where we can you know how high we can go. Now we we last saw you in the ring versus uh, Matt Korobov when uh, the fight was stopped in the second round because he suffered an injury. How how difficult was it for you to go through training camp to psych yourself up and then have something like that happen so early in the fight? Um, I mean, it's difficult. It's not the word. It was disappointing. You know, I being that being my pro debut, I wanted to make a statement. I wanted to, um, you know, I wanted to dominate him and. And uh, I'm putting a show for the American public and for the guys who had maybe hadn't seen me, um, and, I, and I wasn't able to do that. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I I, I, I actually was upset. Um, but the, the more I thought about it, the more I kind of I kind of uh, realized that actually it was it was probably the best thing that could have happened. Because um, you know, aside from me maybe knocking him out in the first round, you know, Matt Korobov is an extremely um, experienced and awkward fighter. So you know, they, 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 you know, I could have got cut, I could have got injured. Um, you know, so many things could have happened, which maybe you know wouldn't have been positive for. You know, it wouldn't have been positive. So for the fact that I was able to just go in there, not get hurt, not get touched, and come away with a win against such an awkward opponent, you know, it's something that, you know, it wasn't a bad thing, really. Um, there's going to be plenty more opportunities for me to perform and, and show off my skills against much bigger names that there will, there will, that will be much more interest in. You know, Matt Korobov is not a huge name in the sport and not a lot of people were... You know, knew him and, and whatever. So, you know, I, I'm I'm gonna have plenty more opportunities to make a big statement. So, um, you know, it was actually kind of scary. I remember um, the moment that he actually kind of, you know, quit, and um, I went over to my corner. The referee came over, and uh, I said, "So, what does this mean? You know, is this the second round?" And he said. Um, Oh, it's, it's a no contest, man. You know, I'm sorry about that. And my heart just sank because I was like, wow. So I've gone through all this and now this, you know, I don't get a win. I don't get, you know, it's just like for nothing. Mm. Um, you know, my heart just sank. And then he went over to, I think, one of the judges and then came back uh, like 30 seconds later and was like, oh, no, don't worry about it, man. You won. I was like, holy <laughs> shit, this guy. <laughs> like, you had no idea how, like, just went from such a low to back up to a high again, like. But um, yeah, that was a very strange 
you know, that was a very strange situation. I've never been in a situation like that before where, you know, the fight got stopped. So I've had guys quit, you know, I've had, I've had a lot of guys kind of quit, but never like in such a, you know, such a high level fight so early, you know. Um, but, you know, everything happens for a reason. Now, uh, has there been talk of a rematch? No, and there would re really would be no reason to, you know, he's not, it's not, um, there's no reason. He, he's, not, he's not a big name. If it was a big name and everyone was interested in it, then, then that's fair enough. But he's, you know, he's, he's just a, a good, he's just a good solid fighter, but he's, he hasn't got any character. You know, you're in, you're in a, you know, press conference with the guy and he, he, he says two words, you know, there's, there's no excitement, there's no aura about him. So there's no real reason for me to, to have a rematch with him. Now, uh, on that same card, Jamal Charlo defended his WBC title versus Dennis Hogan. Is Charlo still on your radar? Absolutely. Until he, in, 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 any man who's got a belt in the middleweight division is, uh, is fully on my radar. Wow. And uh, he has he has one of the belts, so that is definitely a fight that I'm looking to get, you know, this year, hopefully. Now, what are your thoughts on Charlo? Um, nothing impresses me. He hasn't fought anybody of note, and uh, you know, I saw a, a hell of a lot of weaknesses in his in his in his uh, ability when he fought Korobov. Um. You know, that's a fight that I believe I would win uh, comfortably. Uh, you mentioned the, um, go, you want to go for a title. Is there anybody else in particular that you'd like to fight or just if somebody's got a belt, you're, you're willing to fight him? I mean, if you're going to ask me what my, what my number one pick would be, it would be, um, well, it's a toss-up between Golovkin and Alvarez. Oh. Uh, I, I, I've wanted to fight Golovkin for years, and you know, I was I was literally a day or two away from from the fight happening with me and Karbov, and then it got taken away from me and given to uh, Kelbrook by Eddie Hearn. So that is the fight that I would um, that I would love, uh, and Alvarez, of course, you know, he is probably the biggest name in boxing right now and I, I think he's more than beatable with my type of style with my you know with my speed with my punch output with my fearlessness um you know I, i'm not going in there to survive like so many of his so many of his opponents you know i'm going to go in there and, and meet him head on you know if he wants to scrap we can scrap if he wants to box we can box i can do it all um so those are the two those are my two number one picks both sound very interesting. Um, if you have received any word as to when you might return, are you just in the same holding pattern that everybody's in? Yeah, I haven't had anything official. Um, I was told I was I was supposed to fight June, July, before this happened. So I can only hope that um, you know that that is still my schedule. But you know. Uh, but you know the sports world is on hold right now, so I, I have no idea. But saying that, you know, I, just just before we got on the phone, I was watching the the UFC. They they put right. on a, a, a fight card, so that that that's great. That's great to see that they're doing that because that means that you know there's no reason why 
boxing shows can't go ahead and have uh, have these fights made um, uh, without without crowds. But at the same time, you know, if you were to fight an Alvarez or a Golovkin, um, I think you kind of need the crowd. I mean, it's such a huge event. Would you really want to do that in an empty st- in an empty building somewhere? I, it doesn't. It doesn't really. It takes it takes away from it a lot, you know. Um, so I don't know. I think, Are you comfortable? Uh, Are you comfortable fighting in a an arena without an audience? Listen, I, I'll fight anybody anywhere. That, it doesn't matter to me. It's more for the fans, you know. Those sure. types of fights, the fans deserve to be there. Yeah. Um, so if I was going to do that, it would it would definitely I would definitely want it to be against you know just maybe a tune-up fight, you know, or um, uh, an eliminator or something where it's not like, you know, the the, 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 the boxing fans feel like they really missed out, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. You mentioned your father a few times, your, the legendary Chris Eubank Sr. When you were growing up, did you take a lot of heat or grief for being the son of a legendary boxer? Every day. Every day, my life was not, not normal growing up. You know, I had a lot of eyes on me. And this was even before I became a fighter, you know. Um, there was always that, that extra attention. Um, you know, and, and a large factor of that was, the, you know, simply because my dad was, he was, he was a showman. He was a, you know, he was an icon. And uh, he did everything... 200%, you know, like he would take me to school in a big Peterbilt truck, um, like a, a big rig. Uh, he would, you know, there were so many things that he did that were just, you know, like people were like, wow, who is this guy? What, what? And then, you know, he, he became, he became a legend. So to be around that every day, it was, um, you know, it was a very different upbringing. But um, once I did start fighting, it was definitely, it was clear to me that my life or my, my career was not going to be, it wasn't going to be easy. It wasn't going to be fair. Um, it was going to be, you know, so much judgment and, and scrutiny um, and expectation, you know, early on. And then and it, and I, it was, you know, you watch my first fight. I fought in front of 2 million viewers on, on Channel 5 in England. And, you know, the commentators are comparing me the whole time to my father, who was, you know, a, a legend and a world champion, and I was a was a, a debut novice. Mm. But there, you know, so it was definitely um, it was definitely a lot of pressure. But I used that pressure to, uh, to to force myself to fight harder, to train, to train longer, to run further. You know, I did everything. I used it. I used it. I used it to better myself. You know, I didn't let it crush me, which is what what it would do to a lot of fighters, you know, and it has happened to a lot of fighters. So many, right. so many world champions have had sons who just, who just never made it because, you know, the pressure, the, you know, the, the mental toughness it takes to follow in, in a legend's footsteps is, it's, it's tough, but, uh, I, I managed to do it. Sounds like you, sounds like you've come to terms with it, uh, by now. Yeah, I've come to terms with it. I've, I've learned to love it. You know, I've learned to use it to my advantage. Now, I'm I just wondering, because you mentioned 
tension and so forth going to school and growing up did you feel obligated to sort of uh hold up the family name when it came to fighting in the schoolyard and stuff um it wasn't it wasn't so much that i didn't you know i i did get into to to to, to street fights and 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 fights in school and you know i was involved in a in a gang at one point um that was never really anything to do with me trying to uphold my name or whatever i just i don't know i i had a lot of guys testing me and um <laughs> You know, they needed. I needed to let them know that you know it wasn't going to fly. Um, and I and, and I and I just loved, I loved the, I don't know, the thrill of fighting. That you know, that I guess, and that, and that kind of you can kind of see that in my boxing style. I enjoy combat. I enjoy um, danger. I don't know, kind of a weird thing to say, but it always excited me. You know, fighting and. And combat um did you feel obligated to become a boxer or was that 100 percent your choice you know we're thinking maybe it's just in your blood and and you were you that was your destiny oh it was definitely it's definitely my blood um and yeah i guess i guess it was my destiny um my father actually banned me from boxing for a number of years he didn't want me to do it he uh, he forbid me to go into a boxing gym. He forbid me to spar and train. Um, he didn't think I'd be tough enough, and uh, you know he had every right to believe that. You know if you you know you look back at you know all the past world champions and great fighters, ninety nine percent of them came from nothing. They came from broken homes and poverty and a tough upbringing and no school. And you know they used that that energy and that desperateness to make it in the sport you know it was it was you know it's either win this fight or you know become a good fighter or or don't eat you know that was their only way out i had i had every i had i had many ways out. i could have done anything i wanted to do i you know i went to a private school i lived in a mansion um you know i had i had everything i needed so boxing just you know it wasn't i didn't need to fight and I think that's what makes me so much more dangerous than all these other guys because I don't I don't need this. I never need I never needed it. I just wanted it. You got to be hungry. Uh, think, where, where does the hunger come from? Well, that's 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 what it is. That there's no there's no hunger. You know, you've got guys who are hungry because they they literally have nothing else. So they they have their their hunger for boxing. But, you know, they don't have anything else to eat. So imagine the hunger of a guy who's got everything that they want to eat, but they're still hungry for this for, for this hardship and and this you know this uh, this lifestyle which is so takes so much sacrifice and pain to get through. You know the hunger coming from a guy that doesn't need to do that. That's, that's so much more that I think than the guy who needs it physically needs it. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I get, you know, I guess, like I said before, it's just, it's just in me. Um, it's just in my blood, you know. A lot of my brothers, uh, cousins, and uncles—they all—they were all fighters. We're just a fighting family, you know. If you could do it over again, would you have started a little bit earlier and had more of an extensive amateur career? Um, would I have done it over? I mean, yeah, I had 26 amateur fights. 
Um, but you know, my my amateur career was really spent. Most of it was spent. In my amateur fights were the the gym spars. You know, I was I was eighteen, seventeen. You know, in top rank gyms, fighting, sparring. You know, elite pros Makes every sense. week. Yeah. You know, oh. Zab Judah, Chad Dawson. Um, you know, all, all these guys, I was fine with these guys. Those were my amateur fights, you know, getting my ass kicked by these, these pros every week. Um, that was my amateur career. Um, and I think that that, that's what prepared me for the pros. And I think that type of preparation is much, is actually even more valuable and even more effective than having a load of amateur fights, you know, because the amateurs, especially the style, it's so different to the pros. And I, and I was forced to have a pro style from the beginning, you know. Uh, I think that definitely paid off in my pro career. Makes sense. Chris, to wrap things up, uh, you mentioned on Inside PBC Boxing that you feel you're in your prime now. Do you feel a sense of urgency to get the big names in the ring now? Is now the time? Yeah, I mean, it's been the time. But now, especially, especially now that I'm here in America, uh, PBC, Showtime, um, now is the time to fight these big names here in America. And there's a lot of them. Um, you know, I'm 30 years old, but I live the life. You know, I'm dedicated to the sport. And it's not, it's not, just, the, it's not just the sport. It is a lifestyle. Uh, and I live it. I live the life. Um, so, you know, I'm expecting to be, you know, functioning at elite level for at least another five, six years. So, you know, if, if I'm going to be honest, there's not like any super rush. You know, I'm... I'm you know, I'm I'm going to be good. I'm going to be ready to go for for years to come. But um, I want the big names. You know, I've I've had enough fights now. To, you know, I'm 29 and two, uh, and uh, I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to to stamp my name into the um, the top spots in the middleweight division. Fantastic. Chris, we really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Uh, hope you and yours uh, stay safe through this uh, pandemic. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. All right. Take care, Chris. All right. Stay safe, guys. Thanks a lot. Good night. All right. Bye-bye. All right. It's time for our toe-to-toe segment. Each week, Mike and I go back and forth discussing several predetermined topics, maybe one topic or two. Really depends. And we're going to kick off with a question that's been bandied about recently, which is, which active fighters would you nominate for the Hall of Fame? Now, before we get into it, Mike, let's uh, give the viewers some background. Um, First, actually, I want to mention that for me, just me personally, this is not official, but for me, the Hall of Fame, a Hall of Famer is someone based on someone who's accomplished a lot, uh, someone who has defeated a lot of good fighters, someone who's had a real impact on the sport. I, I, Mike, I don't know what, what your qualifications are. I'd love to hear it. And also, I my understanding is that there have been some changes officially as far as qualifications for the Hall of Fame. So it, why don't we share with our audience what those are? Okay. Well, first, I mean, I, I agree with your uh, criteria. Impact, you'd have to define impact. Um, to me. For example, I think Arturo Gatti had a huge impact on the sport, but I'm not sure he had the accomplishments to, to be a Hall of Famer, and he is. Uh, but yeah, I, I also consider impact. Um, I, I can explain that as we go through the fighters. Uh, as far as the rules, it used to be you had to be retired five years to be eligible. Now it's it was changed uh, to three years. Uh, so what that's done is it's created a glut of uh, good Hall of Fame candidates to the point where some good fighters aren't getting in. Uh, at least not 
in the first you know ballot or first couple ballots that kind of thing uh for example i to me rafael marquez is probably a hall of famer he was aced out yeah. because there were because there were so many good candidates uh last year last year uh uh, there was no, there was actually, there will be no induction this year. It'll happen next year. Uh, who went in? Uh, uh, Mosley, Marquez, and Bernard Hopkins. Right. So that's a, that's a tough trio to, to, to beat out. But anyway, so that, that's the point. So we're going to go through these fighters. And uh, two years ago, I would have said that, you know, almost all these guys would have gone in, right? But now I can't say that. I think that the number will be cut down significantly. Well, I'm curious to see who you think uh, will get in. And let's let's just jump right into it. I'm going to start with the uh, the first name, and we're going in first name alphabetical order. Abner Morris, Mike, the floor is yours. Does he get in? Yay, nay. Well, I think Abner's going to have a tough time. Uh, I love Abner as a fighter. It's a person. He's fantastic, uh, and he's accomplished quite a bit as I went over his record. But I, I, I think he would have to do a little bit more to get in. You know, he's won titles in three divisions, and it seems like every single one of these guys has won titles in three divisions. It's like it, 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 it means a lot, but it doesn't mean as much as it once did. Um, you know, he's, he's beaten guys like Vic Darchinian, Joseph uh, Agbeko twice, Eric Morel, Anselmo Moreno. I'd forgotten about that one. Daniel Ponce de Leon. I'd forgotten about that one, too. This is really good stuff. Yeah. Uh, he was also stopped in one round by Johnny Gonzalez, and he has the two losses to Leo Santa Cruz in competitive fights. I think he'd need a few more notable wins to get over the hump, but I think that might be hard to come by because come by, I think he's toward the end of his career. I think he has a chance, though. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I feel like he's sort of in that gray area. He certainly accomplished more than, than quite a few Hall of Famers. Uh, so I think a, a yeah. current Hall of Famer. So I, I think a strong case can be made for him. I mean, you're talking about an all-action TV fighter with an impressive list of accomplishments. You named all the, the guys he's beaten. He's a four-time three-way class world champion. And and even those losses, I know that, that one knockout loss to Johnny Gonzalez, but he did have two tough fights with Leo Santa Cruz. So I would say... Perhaps not first ballot, but I wouldn't be surprised to see his name called in the years after. And the problem is with the three-year the three-year threshold, you have more top guys. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the thing. But uh, we'll see how things evolve. They, could, uh, they may end up changing the rules again. Who knows? Yeah, I agree with you. And let, let's uh, let's move on to the next guy, who's sort of an interesting topic. Adrian, the problem Broner. Mike, should I take this first, or or do you go want to go to track? Okay. Go for it. Well, I'll be honest with you. I went back and forth over this quite a bit. I mean, I really looked at his level of competition, who he beat, who he lost to, and so forth. And look, here's what I think. The reality is Adrian Broner would have to notch a big win in the future in order to sway voters to check the box next to his name. I mean, he's such a polarizing figure uh, in the sport that some guys wouldn't vote for him regardless of of what he's done. And what's crazy is that the man is a four division world titleist and it does take elite skill to go from 130 to beating contenders at 147, which is what he did. Uh, did he beat elite opponents at 147? No, but he did beat Paul and Malnagy. Uh, and yes, I count the Jesse Vargas draw as a win. I guess it doesn't matter. That's my personal opinion, but I, I personally thought he won that fight. And then you've got Adrian Granados and so forth. And he does have a slew of good wins in lower divisions, uh, John Molina Jr., Antonio DeMarco, and so forth. But again, I think what really hurts Broner is that he doesn't play a role that would endear him uh, to a lot of the media who are going to be voting for him. And thus his accomplishments, regardless of what folks think of them, are downplayed while 
others with similar accomplishments, Terrence Crawford, um, are looked at in a better light. But I'm a fan of Broners. I am. You know, I make no apologies for that. He's a name that draws interest. He's certainly one of the more intriguing figures in the sport. And while he may have lost his biggest fights, it shouldn't take away from what he has done. Is that enough to warrant the Hall of Fame? Well, even me, as one of his biggest fans, would like to see him bring home that career-defining victory first. Yeah, I, I, I say no on Broner, and, and it has nothing to do with um, – you. Would, I would hope that voters would put aside their feelings about him. I mean, I, I wasn't the craziest – I wasn't that crazy about Mayweather, to be honest with you, but uh, I wouldn't hesitate for a split second to vote for him. Maybe, I guess I shouldn't compare Broner and Mayweather, but you know what I'm talking about. You're supposed to put that aside, in other words. That's not supposed to sure. be a factor. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think Broner's problem is twofold um, besides the personality thing. Um, is When he won those titles at the lower weights, he wasn't beating uh, top, top guys. He's beating very good fighters, but nobody nobody really spectacular. And then once he moved up to welterweight, he was a, uh, he was a good welterweight, but he was a, kind of a second tier welterweight. So his welterweight career hasn't helped him at all. It's hurt him. Um, yeah, he, he gave some some guys a tough fight, but he, he couldn't get over the hump. So I just don't think he's done enough. I mean, if he somehow, I don't know, wins two or three big fights, as you say, maybe you revisit it. But as things stand now, I, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I certainly understand why you why you feel that way, and I think that's going to be the consensus um, as it stands right now. Anyway, hey, look, that could change. So I, I think we're pretty much in agreement there. Let's move on to our next name, and I have a feeling we're going to be in agreement again. And he is none other than the current unified heavyweight champion, Anthony Joshua. Mike, the floor is yours. Well, I think he's in, but. I don't feel that great about it. <laughs> I mean, I think I think I think he's in. First of all, I, I think big name heavyweights have an advantage because of the attention they receive. Um, there's so much focus on heavyweights. I think they sort of have a built-in edge. Um, he also has some impressive victories. He beat Dillian White. Um, he beat Klitschko in that barn burner. That was a great fight. Uh, Joseph Parker, Alexander Povetkin, the second Ruiz fight. Um, you know, he's a two-time champ. That's something. Um, yeah, on the downside, Joshua took it just an enormous hit in the loss to Ruiz. Um, not only did he did he get brutally knocked out, but the way that he I don't want to use the word quit because I don't even think he knew he was there. Uh, but he, he just didn't look like he had strong resolve at, at the end of that fight. And I think that really, really looked bad. Um, I honestly, I think he's in because of the two-time champion. He's a heavyweight, huge, huge figure. You're talking about the impact on the sport. But I really think the jury's still out on him. I think if he suffers, you know, one or two more bad losses, like the first Ruiz fight, which I think is a possibility. I think there's a possibility that Pulev knocks him out. I don't, I'm not going to predict that, but I think it's a possibility. And he just sort of fades away. Maybe this is something, maybe he's not doesn't automatically go in. Um, I, I, don't, I really don't know. But I think as things stand right now, I got to say, yeah, he's in. Well, I am genuinely surprised that you think he is in. Look, I like AJ. Uh, one day he may build a resume great enough for us to hear him give a speech in Canastota. But I'm going to be honest with you, Mike. Uh, if he retired today, the only reason for him to ever go to the Hall of Fame is to support a friend who got inducted. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's how I look at it. Or, or maybe to check out the memorabilia. I don't know. He's not a Hall of Famer. I get that he's a two-time champion, and that would be a great accomplishment if he if there was a super heavyweight division and he won titles in both divisions. But the only reason why he's a two-time champion is because he got beat and battered and, and ultimately came back and got his belt. So I don't know. I think that kind of cancels out the whole 
two, you know, two-time champion bit. And I get that he's a big name, but he's a big fish in a small pond. I mean, he comes over here and he's he's nowhere near in terms of popularity what the biggest stars are here. Whereas those same big stars, if you sent them out over there, they would be just as big, if not bigger. So I I I don't even count that in his favor. Quite frankly, he is not a Hall of Famer. I'm gonna be honest with you, Mike. I think he's got a long way to go. Well, you might be right. Um, I just big time heavyweights champions. Um, he's he was at the top of the the game, top of the field, that, sure. and now he's sort of back on top of the field in terms of his drawing power. He's got three titles. Guys like that generally get uh, inducted, so that's sort of where I'm going. But I, what you're saying makes sense, though. I think maybe we should just wait and see how he plays out. Exactly. That's that's sort of I'm taking the wait and see approach with him, you know, and see what happens. He's still young, and and I think that he's got the potential. Not only to be become a hall, of, I mean to yeah to become a hall of famer. I think he's got the potential to be a great fighter. So I'm gonna wait and see. But at this point, given what's happened, what's transpired thus far in his career, I get the Klitschko win, but that guy hadn't fought in 18 months and he was 41 years old. So that doesn't blow me away. Yeah. Uh, Dillian White, I think, may be one of the most overrated fighters on planet Earth. So I I I don't know. I I don't count that win for too much. Um, and of course, the the loss to Ruiz, he did bounce back and and get his belt back. So I think the jury's still out on him. Now, uh, another polarizing figure is our next name, who is a two weight division world champion, was unified champion at 140 pounds, and then won the WBC belt at 147 pounds. That is none other than Danny Swift Garcia. And Mike, you lead the way. One of the things about Danny, I think I've said this on the podcast before, is he's just a few points away from a 40-0 record and, and no-brainer status when it comes to the Hall of Fame. Uh, but he lost close decisions to Keith Thurman and, and Sean Porter. Um, I still think he has a chance to get in uh, because of what he did earlier in his career. I, I'm a big fan of Danny. I'm a little bit biased, I guess. Uh, but, but he beat in order. Uh, Nate Campbell, Kendall Holt, Eric Morales, Amir Khan, Eric Morales again, Zab Judah, Lucas Matisse, Mauricio Herrera, Rod Salco, there's one step down, I guess, Lamont <laughs> Peterson, Pauli Malinaji, and, Rob, and Robert Guerrero. I mean, that's just completely nuts. And he won all those fights. Um, that, that's a real gauntlet. And for, for anybody to get through something like that and without, without uh, a draw or a loss is really something special. Um, is it enough to get him into the Hall of Fame? Probably not. Um, at least not right away, but I think that he's in a, he's still young enough where he's in a position that if he wins a few more big fights, uh, maybe he regains a belt. You know, he, he's talked about moving up to the next uh, division, I think. Uh, I think there's a very good chance that in the long run he will get in. Yeah, you know, it, you, you nailed it. I was thinking to myself, first ballot, maybe not. And maybe with these new rules, maybe he really, really struggles to get in. But look, you look at his run of 140, uh, 140 pounds, I'm sorry, and you just mentioned it. It's incredible. I mean, the guys he beat, and they all those guys you listed, nearly all of them were in their prime when he beat them. And he was an underdog against quite a few of those guys. And then even you add on the waltzweight wins, which were mind-blowing. But look, Lamont Peterson, Robert Guerrero, Paulie Malignaggi, a lot of folks thought he beat Sean Porter. You know, so I think he has a strong case for the Hall of Fame, but there's been such a weird backlash against him. Like, people still talk about the fact that he faced Rod Salka as if he didn't face all those other top notch 140. It's ridiculous. To criticize his competition is, is absurd. Now, right. he, the last several years, he hasn't fought the same right. level of opposition. So he does, does probably need to get in the ring with a big name, but well, I think that's Sean what Porter he wants. Keith Thurman. 
you know? I mean, after and, that, I guess. But, um, but yeah, I, this is what he wants. So this is what we're going to see. So, yeah, love Danny Garcia. Yeah, so am I. And, and, or maybe it's because his dad offended people. Maybe that's why, folks. Right. Like, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that there, because of those two things, that he may not be in the conversation, which I think would be disappointing. So I'm with you as, as far as that. Um, let's go on to the next person who's fairly controversial as well for the longest time. He was the longest reigning heavyweight champion of the world. I'm talking about none other than the bronze bomber, Deontay Wilder. Now, Mike, for me, I think that a lot is riding on the third fight versus Tyson Fury. Uh, Not just whether Deontay wins, but how he performs. But does he have my vote for the hall? Yes. 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 I mean, I, I don't care if you guys hate me this week, but I've got a thick hide. That's that's fine. You can you guys can hate me, but let's look at it like this: What heavyweight do you know that can hold the title for five years, be the division's longest reigning champion, make eleven or so title defenses of that belt, knock out nearly everyone he's faced, become one of, if not the most exciting fighter in the sport? Be the most popular U.S. boxer in the sport and not be a Hall of Famer. I mean, look at all of that. I think he's absolutely a Hall of Famer. You look at the performances, the consistency, the lengthy title reign, the drama, the excitement, the key part he played in reviving what was thought to be a dormant division. I think absolutely the Bronze Bomber belongs in the Hall of Fame. And honestly, I can't wait to hear what kind of speech he gives in Canastota. (laughs) Bomb squad. Um (laughs) Uh, what I wrote is he's probably in. Um, you know, you checked all the boxes. You basically said everything that I was going to say, maybe with a little bit more passion. Um, I, the negative, you know, is that his skill set's always been questioned, and some people say, well, Fury sort of exposed it um, in the last fight. Uh, I don't know, maybe parts somewhat in the first fight, too. Uh, you know, th- that was a pretty bad loss to Fury. That that certainly damages his legacy to some degree, but a lot of great fighters had bad losses. Uh, I think the thing is, like as you pointed out, he's not finished yet. I mean, if he beats Fury, then you know everything's turned upside down again. Then he's he's back to where he was. But I think even if he doesn't beat Fury, you know, even if Fury it turns out that Fury has his number, I think he could still rebuild by knocking out you know everybody else like he was doing before. So I think he can get back to his winning ways even if he can't get past Fury. And I think he's got a very good chance of getting to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I'm with you, and I think a lot of uh, people are underrating him because he lost to Tyson Fury, who lest we forget, is a pretty great fighter in his own right. It's not like he lost to Joe Schmo. Um, All right, let's move on. Now, next person on our list is actually the current longest reigning champion in boxing today. He's the WBC World Featherweight Titleist, Gary Russell Jr., Mike, yay or nay? Uh, Right now, I would say nay, um, but I think he's got a chance. Uh, He certainly has the ability. I think he definitely has the ability. Uh, but just not the resume at this point. I think he needs to make some big statements before he gets to go to Canastota. Uh, by the way, I, there's no shame in losing to Lomachenko. Um, I, just the fact he took that fight says something about him. Uh, but he does need, in my opinion, he does need a few more big wins. He needs to really get rolling. Isn't his time is he's not old, but his time is starting to run out. He needs to get rolling. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. Now, just real quick, I want to note that there are some fighters that we aren't going to mention because we feel they're automatic locks. I'm talking about guys like Manny Pacquiao, uh, Canelo Alvarez. Is there anyone else you think, Mike, that's an automatic lock? I, w- I would say those two, definitely. Well, 
again a couple years ago a lot of these guys would be but now i i think um i don't know if you were going to mention lomachenko later uh, yeah let's let's talk lomachenko i, I think that's you know uh, yeah. we might as well bring him up but but i i whatever we'll get to we'll get to him in a second but definitely those two i think should should get obviously manny pack Ro- roman gonzalez probably roman yeah chocolatito for sure he's another person i think absolutely gets in so there it's not worth even discussing as far as uh i'm concerned now as far as gary russell jr i'm with you i'm not quite ready to put him in the hall just yet he's got some very good wins but I think if he moved up or even down in a way, sought some bigger fights, that could catapult him over that hump. Now, if someone like uh, Jojo Diaz or Tungstad Nayambayar, both two guys who he beat, by the way, if they go on to have fantastic careers, even one of them goes on to have a fantastic career, then perhaps that propels him in. But for me, he's he's sort of at the cusp right now, so going to wait and see what happens with him. Now, let's move on to our next name. He is the current IBF middleweight champion. Uh, Prior to that, he was a long-time 160-pound champion. I'm talking about Triple G, Gennady Golovkin. I I think he's in, um, you know, 99%. Uh, His middleweight title run was pretty spectacular, uh, even if he didn't fight a lot of top-tier guys uh, during the reign. Um, I think that's partly a product of him being one of the more avoided fighters uh, of his of his era. Uh, he was champ for more than eight years, uh, and he had what I think it was twenty three consecutive knockouts during that run. So that's against good opposition. I mean, that's nuts. Um, plus, most people thought he, he beat Canelo Alvarez in their first fight. So if you count that as a win, uh, just in terms of assessing him, I think that that all makes him nearly a shoe in to enter the Hall of Fame. I guess the only negative is the quality of his opposition before Alvarez. Yeah, that that is the negative. And I tell you what, I've seen a lot of back and forth about Golovkin in recent weeks, uh, really throughout much of his career, if we're, we're being honest. And let's face it, guys, that's because as far as I'm concerned, he was overrated for much of his career. I mean, at one point, folks had him as the best pound for pound fighter in the world. Uh, at one point, folks had him top three when Martin Murray was the best fighter on his resume. I mean, Stuff like that made me like close my laptop and just head to the nearest bar. But just because Golovkin was overrated before doesn't mean we underrate him now. I mean, absolutely, Gennady Golovkin is a Hall of Famer. He looked like one to me in those two fights with Canelo. And as you mentioned, a lot of people thought he won the first fight. I thought he won the first fight. He had a long world title reign. He had some close fights versus Danny Jacobs and Sergey Devorinchenko. Um, but he won them as far as I'm concerned, although some may say otherwise. The bottom line is the man damn near cleaned out the vision until facing Canelo. And both of those fights against Canelo could have easily gone in his favor. So will I vote for him the first time I see his name on the ballot? It probably depends on who else is on the list, which maybe says a lot about him as far as being a surefire Hall of Famer. But I certainly believe he deserves to be one. What what about after he beats Canelo in the third fight? Well, after that, then I'll jump into my uh, pool of gold coins like Scrooge McDuck, and this is not beating Canelo in that in that yeah, well, third fight. There's, we'll see. There's what I hope is that him getting knocked out against Canelo in that third fight, which is what's going to happen, does it deter people from voting? They'll say he's old. They'll say exactly. I hope. I would hope so because he is old. I mean, that's the reality. I don't care what anyone says. He's not the same fighter, you know. So, whatever. I mean, we'll see what happens with that. And I think he's always going to be that kind of person, that kind of polarizing figure in boxing, given uh, how much 
you know, accolades he got back then. And I think that's taken away from really what he's accomplished, which is which is quite a bit. Uh, we're going to move on to our next person uh, who's also been a longtime world champion, uh, currently now campaigning at 118 pounds where he has a title. And that is Guillermo Rigondeau. Uh, Mike, you know what? I think he has Hall of Fame skill. I think Rigo has, he's got at least one Hall of Fame performance on his dossier, but I'm kind of struggling with this one. I I mean, I feel like for some reason, I feel like he needs one more win, man. I don't know if it's because he just doesn't have that many wins on his ledger. He hasn't had a long pro career. Maybe the Donaire rematch at 118 does it, but or maybe one of those, the young guys, you know, you got Brandon Figueroa out there, Stephen Fulton out there, or Naoya in a way. I mean, there, there are guys out there that he can fight. Maybe he needs to beat one of them, but for some reason, I feel like he needs to do just a little more before I'm ready to put my uh, to induct him into the Hall of Fame, which is a shame because I think he has Hall of Fame skill. In my mind, there's no question that he has Hall of Fame skill. Um, I, I think a key element that we that we've missed, and I'm not even sure if there's I don't think there's any rule or stipulation regarding this. I think that you could in, include his amateur uh, accomplishments. Uh, I've wondered it, about that actually. Yeah, I think you, I think I think it's fine. I think there's actually. I'm blanking on this. The Hungarian, a great Hungarian amateur boxer whose name's escaping me at the moment. I believe he's in the Hall of Fame, and he didn't. Uh, he barely had a pro career. So uh, I, I think, if, if, in other words, if you count his amateur career, I think it's he's in for sure, right? Because two-time uh, Olympic gold medalist, one of the greatest amateur fighters of all time. Uh, if it's only about his pro career, I don't think it's a slam dunk. So I'm with you on that. The skill set for sure, it's there. It's through the roof. Uh, but he doesn't have a lot of, as you said, he doesn't have a lot of important victories. So, um, yeah, he needs he needs more. But the question is, at his age, can he get more? I guess that's the that's the question. Yeah. Well, he's certainly trying. I mean, moving down in weight and so forth. So we'll see what happens with that. Now, our next fighter is a two division world champion who's uh, witnessed the revival of sorts in in recent months. And I'm talking about Jean Pascal. Mike, I will let you lead the way here. Yay or nay? Pascal's an interesting candidate. Um, a year and a half ago, or whenever, I don't know, I'd have to look at the exact dates, I probably would have said absolutely no way um, that John Pascal's a Hall of Famer. And then all of a sudden he beats, last year he beats Marcus Brown and then Badu Jack. I'm like, wait a second, what's going on here? Right. Um, you know, he, he had a few good victories before that. He beat Chad Doss, Dawson, he beat uh, Lucien Boutte. Uh, he had a draw with Bernard Hopkins. Actually, that might have been his strongest performance. Uh, but he lost a number of big ones, too. He lost to Carl Frotch. He lost to Hopkins in the rematch. He lost to Sergey Kovalev twice. He lost to Elder Alvarez. He lost to Dimitri Bivol. These are a lot of losses in big fights, uh, which is why I would have said no. So um, I say he doesn't get in unless he amazes me again one or two more times with big fights. Uh, I just have to say he better work fast. He's 37 years old. Yeah, well, he's, he's putting in that work. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I mean, you know, my first instinct is no. And I guess I still lean toward no when I think about it some more. But you're right. He is fast closing in on becoming a viable contender for the Hall of Fame. You look at the list of opponents that he has beat. Yes, he has a lot of significant losses, but so do most Hall of Famers, I think. You look at Marcus Brown, Badu Jack, Lucien Butte, uh, Adrian Diakonu. That's that's pretty impressive stuff. So I don't know. Maybe I need to take a longer look at Pascal. Like I said, I kind of hesitate to put him in as it stands right now i mean yes, he could sir. have a rematch with uh, badu jack or maybe marcus brown or or 
or maybe beat some other light heavyweight contender or light heavyweight champion out there. And I think that might propel him uh, toward Canastota. But for now, uh, I'm kind of with you. I, I, I just can't do it. In this environment, it's too hard for a guy like that. He's like a borderline at best, and that that's not going to get you. Yeah. Now, next person on our list is someone who I have absolutely loved watching over the years. One of the, the biggest names in the lower weight classes, Juan Francisco Estrada. And I'm going to go ahead, Mike, and say yes, yes, and yes, he should be a Hall of Famer. But I'm a huge fan of uh, Juan Estrada, so... Uh, maybe that's why I've been watching him since his Telemundo and Telefuturo days when he was just 23 years old, 24 years old. And I marveled uh, at his skill. And he's got a lot of nice wins, Mike. I, you know, a great resume, multi-division champion. He's a hell of a fighter. He's a pound for pounder currently. He's a solid citizen. So for me, it's a no-brainer. I say yes to Estrada. Yeah, I say that he's still building a Hall of Fame career. I, I think the thing about he, he's similar to Canelo Alvarez in a way. Now, Canelo is one of those guys I think that's a, a no-brainer. He's in for sure uh, for many reasons. Um, I think Estrada is still at his peak. I think he's he's accomplished so much, but I think I don't think he's even necessarily halfway done. Um, so if he, if he continues to do what he's been doing, I think he's like an absolute no-brainer. You know, he's right now he has titles in two divisions. He's beaten Brian Valoria, Milan uh, Melindo, Giovanni Segura, Carlos Cuadras, Sarissa Katz, Sarangvasai after he lost the first fight to him. He gave wait, wait, a- I got to cut you off real quick uh, and say, you just brought up a name I totally forgot about, Giovanni Segura. Do you remember when he was coming up? What an exciting Yeah, yeah, he was uh, hot for a while, he was, and, then he, yeah. and then he wasn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, and then he lost a few fights, and then he was just, like, gone. Right. Uh, but he was but he was highly respected at that point. Sure was. Uh, and, then when I, and I was at the fight when Estrada, um, sort of an unknown, I, at least to me, at that point when he gave Roman Gonzalez all he could handle. He was prime. Handle. Prime Roman Gonzalez, and it was really a tough fight. Uh, I think he's borderline now based on what he's accomplishments, but I think he's got three, four, five, six, seven, eight more big wins in his in his career, and I think he'll end up being a, a first ballot guy. Yeah, uh, or maybe just one fight, one more fight with Roman Gonzalez. Who knows? I wouldn't mind seeing the rematch um, at this point. Now, our next person on our list, uh, four division champion, currently a excuse me, currently a super featherweight world champion, El Terremoto, Leo Santa Cruz. Leo. Uh, I think Leo might be on his way, but I think he's got more work to do. Uh, he's won titles in three divisions. Again, they've all won titles in three divisions. Um, <laughs> I, I don't mean to belittle that because it is an accomplishment, but these right. days it's just not what it, well, I put it's like not, it's not Henry Armstrong winning three when there was only eight. Right. Well, I'll put it to you like this. Look, if, if you've won titles in three divisions, then you deserve to be in this conversation, right? So Very good. Very right. good. Oh, yeah. 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 So he's beaten the likes of uh, Eric Morrell, Victor Terrazas, Abner Mars, Carl Frampton after losing the first fight. Uh, it's an impressive run he went on, but I, I think it just need. I think he just needs to do a little bit more. Maybe victories. Let's say he beats Gervonta Davis or Gary Russell Jr. Both of them. I think that would put, that could put him over the top. Wow. That's man. That's. And you're tough. That's all I got to say. I mean, I think Leo Santa Cruz absolutely is a, is a Hall of Famer. I mean, you got names like Carl Frampton and Abner Morris under his belt. To me, Santa Cruz is another example of a guy who many expect so much from that they kind of overlook what he's accomplished thus far. You mentioned if he beats Javante Davis and Gary Russell Jr., um, that'll get him over the hump. I will tell you something right now. If he beats Javante Davis, he isn't a Hall of Famer. He's a freaking legend. I mean, he... he 
jumps into a whole different stratosphere as far as I'm concerned. So I do believe a lot of folks are sleeping uh, on his chances. But but that aside, uh, you know, he's already in Canastota as far as I'm concerned. First ballot or not, you know. But the thing about these kind of things is, you know, if he does fight Javante Davis next, what happens there is going to weigh so much on how folks vote uh, on him when it's his turn. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about, you know, Nonito Donaire later. And um, yeah, he would have been an interesting discussion before his fight with uh, Noaya Noe. Sure. Uh, but I think that he will be remembered to a great extent for that fight. So what you do later on matters a lot. Right. Win or lose. Yeah, is, is what I would say. All right, let's move on to our next person, and he's a uh, another four division titleist, Mikey Garcia. Now I'm gonna go ahead and say yes, absolutely. Mikey Garcia is a Hall of Famer without question, for show. Yes, indeed. I mean, Adrian Broner, Jesse Vargas, Orlando Salido, Robert Easter Jr., Sergey Lipinets, uh, Juan Ma Lopez. The list goes on and on and on. As I mentioned, he's a four-division champion. I, I, I mentioned Broner, yeah, and he unified at 135 pounds. I honestly think it's a no-brainer. Mikey Garcia is a Hall of Famer, and for me, a, a first ballot. Uh, well, that what I wrote was probably he's probably in. Um, and again, this is based on just to clarify, this is based on right now what he's accomplished to this point and these new rules. So, I mean, I have that in the back of my head that um, you got to really be a standout, something incredibly special. Um, you know, may, maybe he doesn't need like another one or two big victories because of uh, how long his list of uh, victims is. And that's a pretty impressive list. I agree with you. Uh, plus a real high percentage of knockouts, which is always a good thing. Uh, I think the Spence fight hurt him to some degree. Um, I, bold move. I'll always applaud him for or admire him for doing that. But it was really a bad, bad loss. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll go with you. I'll say I'll, I'll say that he's still in. You know, you know, I thought regarding the Spence fight, indeed, it was a bad loss, particularly, you know, the way he was shut out pretty much more or yep. less 12 yep. he, he accomplished very little in terms of what uh, happened in the ring that night but he made a great comparison as far as what juan manuel marquez did against floyd mayweather he was shut out as well and did very little in the ring that night and and came back and had some great accomplishments i think marquez was a was a hall of famer prior to the mayweather fight um but he certainly solidified it afterwards and maybe that's what mikey garcia does next now our next name uh marute M. Talane, as uh, we went over a week or two. I'm glad you said it first. (laughs) Okay. Um, Now, Mike, uh, you know what? As far as I'm concerned, he's he's just not there yet. And I love my uh, South African brother, but but as a Ghanaian, he's he's someone that and Ghanaians in general have looked toward South Africa as as the other African country to produce so many great world champions. And he's a name that certainly sticks out. He's I understand. Look, he's got a lot of big, a lot of good wins under his belt. John Real Casimero, uh, Zolani Tete, and so for those reasons, I would like to see him get in. I just don't know if he deserves it, and I don't know if the rest of the voters have enough conviction to get him into the hall. Look, he's got the longevity, and and maybe another impressive win secures him that slot. But I can't say for sure right now that he should be in. This is kind of what I was saying before about heavyweights having an advantage because of the attention they get. So I think the littlest fighters have a disadvantage. Um, you got to really do something incredibly special to stand out like Roman Gonzalez. Um, this, this is a tough one. You know, he had two reigns as flyweight champ that totaled 
I believe, more than six years, which is pretty darn impressive. Uh, I think he had seven defenses, which is that's that's a long reign. Um, you know, you mentioned the wins over Tete and Casimiro uh, in his last fight at Kira uh, Yagashi. Uh, all that might be enough, but I don't think it's I don't think it is with him. And he's 37 years old, um, so I'm not not sure how much more he can accomplish. But I think he's a borderline guy. Yeah, he, he is borderline, and yeah, you're right. At 37 years old, it's a long shot, but, you know, stranger things have happened in the sport. Now, our next candidate is currently the unified bantamweight world champion, although he's he's moved up a division in search of more trinkets, uh, more recognition, and one of the hardest hitters in the sport, one of the best fighters in the sport, and that's Naoya Inoue and Mike, lead the way, yay or nay? Hey, it's just too early to say he's too young. Um, the ability, for sure, 100%, the ability is there. Uh, but he probably needs a little bit more time. Yeah, he, he only has 19 fights. Uh, uh, Lomachenko, we were talking about Lomachenko off the podcast. He only has 15 fights, is that right? I mean, yeah, yeah. he's got he's got Hall of Fame credentials, but it's, it sounds almost weird to say that if you, you don't even have 20 fights yet. Um, but like Lomachenko, Inoue has crammed a lot into, into so few fights. He's already won titles in three divisions. Here we are again. Uh, but he's generally done it in spectacular fashion. You mentioned that he's one of the most powerful guys. He's a great athlete. He's a great boxer, and he's got crazy power. He's just he's just got it all. Um, I don't think he looked great against Donaire, but uh, to be fair, he, he was injured, and, and I think Donaire is a naturally bigger guy. Maybe in no way he's hit a ceiling in terms of his weight, but I think I think in the end, when, we're, when we revisit this a few years from now, I think he's a, he's a shoe, and he's definitely going to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, you could argue that he's a shoe in now, but you, you you just mentioned like you you know he's still a young fighter, doesn't have that many fights under his belt, and a string of losses could change perceptions very quickly. But I mean, look, as far as what he's accomplished right now, world titles in three divisions, he's unified at bantamweight. He's a hell of a fighter. Um, he's now moved on to the higher division, so I guess we'll see what happens. But when you look at those accomplishments, if he retired today, I think he gets in. Now, the fact that he's continuing to fight and and moving on to those higher divisions as I mentioned means it just means to me that we're gonna find out how great he truly is and where he ranks among other great fighters all time. Now, our next candidate is someone we mentioned before, and that's uh, uh, none other than the Filipino Flash, Nonito Donaire. As far as I'm concerned, he is absolutely a Hall of Famer from flyweight to super bantamweight. This guy's been a world champion. I mean, he's registered insane knockouts. He's been a fighter of the year. He's been a pound for pounder. And most recently, he showed that he's still formidable. So in my opinion, Nonito Donaire is underrated, if anything. He uh, he probably clinched it with his performance against Inoue. I think he might be the only guy who clinched the Hall of Fame with a loss. Um <laughs> You know, he had titles in four divisions, or at least he, we had one more division there. Huge puncher, as, as you mentioned, um, that, which, I, which I think actually helps in my book um, when you're assessing a fighter. He's got these spectacular wins over Vic Darchinian two times. Uh, Mitalane, did I say his name right? Uh, Fernando Montiel, Jorge Arce, all those all those are really good. He also has losses against Guillermo Rigondeau, Nicholas Walters, Jesse Magdaleno, and Carl Frampton. So he did have a down portion of his career. But I think if you look at the totality of what he's done, I think he's probably a guy who's going to go in. 
Yeah, sure. And as I, I mentioned before, look, most great fighters have significant losses. That's what happens when you consistently take on top opposition. So you sort of look at their accomplishments. And and in my opinion, Donier's accomplishments are certainly enough to warrant uh, Hall of Fame consideration. Now, our next name you just mentioned, uh, Srisaket Sor Rung Visai. Mike, yay or nay? You know, this is a tough one. Um, I wrote, he's probably in. Uh, he's got two enormous wins. Uh, he he uh, he beat he outpointed Roman Gonzalez the first fight I believe I think I had that right uh, and brutally knocked him out in the second fight. So this and this is when Gonzalez was like number one pound for pound. So those are just huge huge wins. Uh, he he's had two title reigns at super flyweight. He has and he has a victory over Juan Francisco Estrada. He lost there in their rematch. Um, I guess the knock on Sorongo Sorongo would be that he doesn't have a lot of big wins. If you go over his uh, his resume. A lot of his fights took took place in in Thailand against guys that we've never heard of. A lot of them were like four rounders or six rounders. So um, he doesn't have a lot of big names, but he's come up real big in big fights. So I think he's a borderline guy. But my gut says that he's got a decent chance of getting in. You know, I don't think he gets in. I think he's got to do a little more. I think he's he's the the poster boy for a candidate of someone who you think about. And you pass on, and then before you know it, he gets buried under a whole bunch of other uh, candidates. You know, he he's an impressive super flyweight, dare I say, a great super flyweight, but a Hall of Famer. I I really don't think so. I mean, yes, he beat Roman Gonzalez in those two fights, and it, it was impressive. But I feel like it was a past prime uh, Roman Gonzalez who's fighting above his ideal weight. And uh, look, not to take anything away from him, the fact that he th- did that proves that he's a very good fighter. As far as what happened with Estrada, the first fight, I thought. Estrada was really coming on strong uh, over the second half of the fight and and I I thought it could have gone either way in the rematch Estrada asserted his dominance and defeated him and showed him who was the true Hall of Famer so um, look I I can't do it I mean if he comes up I'm probably looking at other candidates because I think it's a slow year if I have to check his name off the box so I'm going to say no let's go to the next person on our list, that's none other than a, a longtime light heavyweight champion, Sergey, the Crusher Kovalev. This is a no-brainer for me. Absolutely not. Next question, Mike. I the floor is yours. Uh, I think he's got a chance. Um, he's got some good wins. You know, he beat Hopkins. He's the first one to do it. Hopkins what he did i mean he could almost, Hopkins is 137 years old yeah but nobody had ever done that before so he, he, he did oh yeah lost a few times prior to that no, 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 no. but not the way he did it i mean he completely dominated him in, in, in terms of boxing nobody had ever done that before uh sorry he was 49 yeah i know i know i know you can't but, give you can't give keith thurman grief for losing to a 40 year old legend in manny pacquiao and then and turn around and ignore the fact that bernard hopkins was uh, I'm a not decade older. I'm not ignoring it, but we know that Bernard was still a good fighter into his 40s, and I think that was a, that was a good win. Uh, he, beat, he beat Pascal twice. Um, some people thought he beat Andre Ward in their first fight, which uh, which helps him. Sure. Uh, he was high on pound for poundless. Uh, he's a very good fighter, skillful guy. He had a lot of power. Um, I think things went downhill beginning with the second Ward fight uh, in which he was stopped. Uh, he was knocked out by Elidor Alvarez, although he came back and won the rematch. Uh, and then he was knocked out by Canelo, although he gave Canelo all kinds of problems until he got knocked out. So he's still, even now, I think he's got a little. I think he's a 
borderline guy in the old system. I think in the new system, he's going to have a problem getting it. That's interesting. I, I, I say no, no, regardless of system. I think you nailed it. He's a very good fighter. That's what he is. Um, is he a Hall of Famer? I don't think so. I don't think he accomplished enough prior to the uh, decisive loss to Andre Ward. I get that he beat uh, Bernard Hopkins, and he got a lot of mileage out of that win over 49-year-old Bernard Hopkins. Was Hopkins still formidable? Yes, but Hopkins was sort of cherry-picking his opponents at the time, you know, and... Um, and he picked the wrong one in Sergey Kovalev. He does have the two wins over over Jean Pascal, which were impressive, and the lethargic performance against Isaac Chalemba. Um, but he got beat pillar to post uh, by Ward in the rematch. Now, the first fight, a lot of people thought he won. I wasn't one of those people, but I recognized that it was a very close fight and could have gone either way. But Ward properly warmed up, you know, did the business to him in the uh, the rematch. Yeah. Now. Now the next thing we might we might go back and forth. Who knows? I don't know what you're gonna say regarding the uh, the next thing, but another three division world champion, the current WBO 147 pound titleist, Terence Bud Crawford, Mike Yerne. One of our favorite subjects. Um, but I think he's definitely gonna be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah, I think he is. I think I think this is something that I haven't mentioned. I, I think I was gonna mention it if we talked about Lomachenko. Um, I think if, if you're ever at number one pound, legitimately at number one pound for pound at any time in your career, that to me is almost like a, a free pass into the Hall of Fame. Because that means you're the best fighter in the world at, at one particular time. So I think, I mean, let's put it this way. That's a huge, huge factor in your favor. And a lot of people have Crawford number one pound for pound. Um, I personally don't. I have Lomachenko number one. I have Crawford number two. But um, I, I think he's in. I think it's fair to criticize his opposition if you, as you do, um, as you love to do so much. Um, uh, he doesn't really have a defining fight, uh, but he's unbeaten, three-division champ again, as you just pointed out, uh, number one pound for pound on some lists. Uh, I think he's in. Uh, I'll add that I, I hope he has the chance to fight the biggest names. He's not finished yet. You know, guys like Spence and the other PBC welterweights before it's through to like to remove doubt. It'd be almost be a shame if he got in and people like were saying, well, maybe he didn't deserve it. That would be a shame. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I, I think I pretty much agree with everything you said. I think he gets in as well. I hope he gets the chance to fight one of the 147 uh, pound elite fighters. Also, I don't, I'm not completely convinced that he cares to fight either one of them. I mean, I've heard him say stuff like, well, I'm a Hall of Famer anyway. You know, obviously Sean Porter's out there and he said, I'm not interested. So things like that, you know, eh, they give me kind of pause. And I feel like he gets a lot of sympathy where guys like Adrian Broner don't. And for obvious reasons, as far as I'm concerned, one, he isn't anywhere near as as ostentatious as Broner is. Um, And second, Crawford has fought better uh, better opposition and beaten better opposition, I would say. But the gap isn't as big as some make it out to be. It does exist. And look, he gets my vote as far as I'm concerned. Will he be remembered? I I think like you that he needs that career defining uh, victory. He needs to get in those, and even if he doesn't get a career defining victory, he needs to be involved in some big fights. Um, yep. Bottom line, I mean, he is he has gotten by on on reputation. I think at this point, you mentioned he's number one on a lot of pound for pound lists. I don't see him number one on too many lists nowadays because I think it's reached the point now. Folks are like, okay, really, dude? You know, could you get in there and fight somebody? Um, Kelbrook is not the answer. That's not going to propel him. But look, I've talked about I've talked about 
Terrence Crawford way too much. I'm tired of talking about him. He deserves more talk when he fights somebody good. So I'm just going to go ahead and move on to the next person on the list who is taking on top opposition, is taking on elite fighters, and that's none other than the Gypsy King, Tyson Fury. Now, much like Deontay Wilder, I think a lot is riding on their third fight. Um, The outcome, as far as I'm concerned, could change the course of both of their careers. But as it stands, in my opinion, gun to my head, Tyson Fury is a Hall of Famer. Um, Hey, look, he could get flattened in the third fight. Maybe he doesn't have another significant win for the remainder of his career. And he gets battered around by a slew of contenders. And the perception changes after that. But but that's how it is in boxing. That's the way it goes. And for now, he is the man in the glamour division. And he's the, the man because he beat the man. In fact, he beat the man twice. So the Gypsy King has my vote. Absolutely. First ballot. Hall of Fame. Interesting. Um, yeah, I think he's in too. Uh, some some great fighters go their entire careers without a single defining fight, which is could, could happen with Terrence Crawford. Fury has two. Um, he has a dominating uh, points win over Vladimir Klitschko, which shocked the world. Uh, dominating, almost shut him out uh, in in my book. Uh, and then he and then he knocked out Dante Wilder in, in his last fight. I mean, two spectacular performances against top guys. I mean, not too many guys do that. Uh, and he also has one of the better comeback stories in the history of boxing. Um, he was away for two and a half years. He's uh, dealing with depression and substance abuse and uh, God knows what else. He balloons up to. 350 pounds, I think, maybe more than more than that. Uh, who knows if he's ever going to fight again? Not only does he come, not only does he come back and fight again, but he ends up knocking out uh, Wilder in the fashion that he did. Um, I don't know. I, I think good stories can help you also uh, when when you assess uh, when you assess a fighter. Uh, he's. I also think he's the biggest star in the sport. Um, or certainly one of the two or three biggest stars, stars, which I think also helps. You're talking about impact on the sport with his personality. I think when you add it all up, I think he's in no matter what. Well, well, I do agree that he's in no matter what. I, I'm not sure yet if he's one. I still think he needs to prove himself as far as being a ticket seller in the uh, United States by himself before I'd say he's one of the biggest stars in the sport. I'm always sort of wary when um, with the big fish in the small pond syndrome. He did come over here and after the first uh, Wilder fight, his two fights, his two solo acts sort of bombed. But then that third, that second Wilder fight was huge. Um, so, but whatever. I mean, that's that's neither here nor there. I think we're both in agreement that this guy is a Hall of Famer, and, and that's the bottom line. I think we both agree that we can't wait to see that third fight uh, with Deontay Wilder. Now, the last person on our list is none other than Vasily Lomachenko. He is also extremely high on the pound for pound list right now, and. Quite honestly, I, I, I would have put him in the category with Pacquiao, Canelo, and Roman Gonzalez. Absolutely, he gets in in my book. Very impressive wins. Gary Russell Jr., Nicholas Walters. Yeah, I didn't love the uh, Guillermo Rigondeaux win because he was older, because he moved up two divisions in a weight to a weight class. He didn't belong, but that's neither here nor there. If you're counting uh, amateur careers, and he he's, he's a first ballot. Um, but even if you're not, I think he's done so much in such a little amount of time, even when he wasn't beating names like Russell and Walters, he was beating really good contenders or fellow champions. So uh, in my opinion, it's a pretty obvious choice. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, if you count, if, if you give any weight to his amateur career and combine that with his pro career, holy cow, he's one of the best fighters of all time. Uh, yeah, he's also a two-time uh, uh, Olympic champion. Some people consider him the best amateur ever. 
Um, and then you combine that with what he's done as a pro. I mean, that's just crazy. Uh, I would say there's no discussion needed at all, but, and maybe there isn't any discussion needed. Maybe if he just retired tomorrow, that's it. He's done. He's still in first ballot. The only hesitation I would have is that he's fought only 15 times. That's not a huge sample. Uh, you know, that said, like in a way, he's done a lot in so few fights. He's beaten Gary Russell Jr., Roman Martinez, Nicholas Walters, Guillermo Rigondeau, Jorge Linares, who I know you love, uh, Luke Campbell. Uh, you know, more important, and this is what I was mentioning about Terrence Crawford, he is number one on my pound-for-pound pound list. So he's the best fighter in the world, one of the best fighters of his era. So it's 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 going to be impossible to get him out of the keep him out of the Hall of Fame. Yeah, pretty much. I agree with you, and I think he gets in on the first ballot. So. Uh, that concludes our look at potential Hall of Famers currently in boxing and our toe-to-toe segment. We'd love to get your feedback, as always, as far as that. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. All right, that concludes this week's episode. Now, as a reminder, guys, make sure you subscribe to the PBC Podcast on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, I mean, pretty much anywhere you can subscribe to a podcast and not to mention the Premier Boxing Champions website, of course. Also, don't forget to check out Time Out with Ray Flores on the PBC IG page. This this week's guest is none other than unified super welterweight world champion Jason Rosario. For those who haven't seen it yet, the other 154-pound champion, the person considered the man in the division, uh, WBC titleist Jermel Charlo joined Flores afterwards. So it sounds like a Charlo-Rosario match maybe in the works and it may be just what the doctor ordered who knows uh hopefully we see that sooner rather than later now on wednesdays and fridays we have our at home series on the pbc facebook page this wednesday's guest is former world champion robert easter jr and on friday it's the return of the problem none other than Adrian Broner. Now, Thursday on the PBC YouTube page, Cuban legend Guillermo Rigondeau appears on our Going the Distance series. And Saturday night, as always, PBC goes live on YouTube with yet another classic card. You don't want to miss any of this. So finally, we want to thank you all for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the banter, at least enough for you to come back and check us out next week for more Boxing Talk right here on the PBC Podcast. 